Today is our last week of our series called Perspective, Perspectives, and this month um, I've invited some special guests each Sunday to help me preach, and the reason is, is because God uses our perspectives to help build our faith and the faith of those around us, and so perspectives can really change the way we look at things. Um, this week, a friend of mine showed me this picture. I want to put it up, and um, I want you to tell the person next to you whether you see a dog wearing a white sweater or a dog wearing black pants. All right, so tell the person next to you what you see. What do you see? What do you see? Or are you just like, oh, a dog. Cute. It's all in your perspective, right, of how you would see that. In the Bible, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each Gospel is written um, to cover the life and the ministry of Jesus. And each Gospel wrote from a different angle. They wrote from a different perspective. They looked at the character of Jesus from the conversations that they had, from the different angles that they had. And when we compare the Gospels with one another, we get this overall portrait of Jesus. And so the Gospel writers are united in intent, but unique in perspective, they're united in intent, but unique in perspective. And so that's our goal of this series in October, that every person that shares has this unique perspective on the word of God. And what creates those um, angles and perspectives are a variety of life experiences, but these will all help us get a better picture of who Jesus is. One of the most important takeaways on this series is that I want to encourage you to pick up the Bible and read the four Gospels. Read the four Gospels. Now, if you haven't started yet, it's never too late to engage in the Word of God. You can, you can pick right up. But the idea is as you dive into God's Word, we all need to understand the Scripture for ourselves. Don't be afraid of your perspective. Don't be afraid of what you read in your life experience. God will use that to help you understand and then to help you share that with someone else. And so, so this series and today to finish it, we're looking at some epic moments in the scriptures. We're going to deep dive into the scriptures together. So I have two very special guests this morning, and I'd like to introduce them to you. To my right is Mr. Jay Riggle. You can clap. <laughs> they always wait for me. Um, Jay has been married 40 years to his wife, Kathy. Um, they moved to Erie for his first job after college as a teacher and a wrestling coach at a local high school and chose Erie first as their home church when it was located at 32nd and Liberty. So a, a hot minute ago. Um, Jay has served our church and used his gifts through many years teaching classes about the scriptures. Um, Kathy and Jay have three adult children, five grandchildren, and number six due in January. So excited to have you, Jay. And then to my left is Heather Morris. Um, Heather Morris, yeah is Canadian-born. Um, she is a wife, a mother of two beautiful girls, ages one and nine. Um, Heather is a leader. She's an entrepreneur. She volunteers with Servieri March of Dimes and is a mentor to young girls and is one of my greatest friends. So I'm so excited to have her here this morning. Can you welcome them all today? Now, Jay, uh, Pastor Steve told me that he's going to uh, be excited about your wrestling examples, so he's going he's gonna to hoo-hoo-hoo you over there. All right, so that's why I put you on that side. So let's kick you, us off with this question. Um, I'm going to start with Heather. Um, in your life, uh, in your perspective, what are some significant things that have helped shape as you read the Word of God? And as you read it now, what are some things that have got you there? Sure. So for me, uh, it's been three main things, uh, relationship, experience, and trust. Uh, so I think relationship. Relationship really helps create an experience for you when you're reading God's word 
as opposed to religion. Um, so growing up, I'll just give you a little bit of background. Growing up, um, I grew up in a two-parent Christian household. Uh, my dad is a pastor, my uncle is a pastor, and my grandfather was a pastor. So I'm a PK. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what a PK is, that's a pastor's kid. There's usually two types, the kind that just make their parents' hearts so excited and happy and do all the right things they're supposed to, and then they're the ones like me. <laughs> um, so um, growing up, you know, I was extremely rebellious. Um, just I think that the ones like me tend to want to do their own thing and, you know, um, by the age of 15, I was out of control, running with the wrong crowd, um, got involved with drugs and alcohol and all that stuff. Um, by the time I was 15, I was already kicked out of 11 schools in the Toronto district. And my parents were really kind of running out of options of where to put me. So they had decided they were going to drive me four and a half hours over the border into upstate New York to a home for troubled teenagers. Um, and that is where I landed. <laughs> um, and it was the best decision they could have made um, because that was where everything changed for me. That is where my relationship with Christ began. And it moved from a religious thing that I've known about my entire life to a relationship that I could experience. Um, so that is the relationship portion. The experience portion, uh, for some of you that may or may not know, um, my son... My husband and I have a son, and he, his name is Joshua, and he passed away in 2017 at two months after a four-month stint in the hospital. Uh, he passed away in the NICU. Um, and that was a catastrophic life event for us, uh, and it has altered our lives forever. But that is the experience portion. I've, that is an experience that I've never felt so dark. I've never felt so deeply distanced from God. Um, but the experiences like that help us to be able to create some context around God's word, as opposed to it being something that we're just reading, it then becomes real for us because then we can find pieces of our lives and how it applies to our lives um, throughout the word of God. So that's the experience portion. And then there's a trust portion. So I want to talk about you know, a little bit of my life story and a little bit of the experience, but the other portion of that um, is going to be the trust piece, and that is being able to trust God regardless of what's going on, regardless of what the circumstances are, regardless of how things look in that moment. Uh, being able to know that he is who he says he is, and he will do what he said he's going to do regardless of what things look like. Thank you, Heather. And Jay, how about you? What are some significant things that have helped shape your perspective on the Word of God? Uh, I, I really... I thought at one time that I had original thoughts, but then I heard a sermon or read something and realized other people thousands of years ago had that same thought. So I, I adopted the views and beliefs of people who demonstrated their love for me when I was a kid. Uh, blessed with two great parents. My mother is 91 and still with us. Every other weekend, I'm driving down to Pittsburgh to visit her. Um, I accepted Christ through Campus Life Youth for Christ. My Campus Life director was probably my spiritual father. Coaches, teachers, you know, close friends. Um, people who demonstrated their love for me, I basically believed what they believed. And uh, it makes me wonder if I was young and moldable and stupid and I was led by people who had other motives or other beliefs, where would I be? But I just thank God for the, for the people who uh, spoke truth to me and loved me as a kid. Uh, the other thing is God uses events in my life to make his word come alive. I'm going to tell you a deer hunting story, which is not about deer hunting. It's about the Bible. 
maybe I don't need to say this, but real quick, real parenthetical, uh, it's great here because we have unity in Christ. Uh, there are, our, our society is a divisive society, and we need to be unified in Christ, and we need to choose to be tolerant of things that are peripheral. Um, so if you don't like deer hunting, you have to tolerate me at the moment. Uh, in the future, if you're telling a story about a hobby of yours that I don't like, I have to tolerate you. Anyway, um, my son is now 33. He's our baby. And when he was like 19 or 20, a switch just flicked in his head. And as a hunter and as a person, he just became... Uh, the man I aspire to be if I ever grow up someday. But as a 14, 15-year-old, he was, uh, it was hard to get him to apply himself to things. We were deer hunting together uh, over a period of a couple years. He was failing to uh, successfully harvest the deer. I was praying for him because I knew he was discouraged and I was afraid he was going to give it up. I didn't want to see that happen. So one night I read Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, which I'm going to read now. It says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And when I read that, God said, what's going to happen is you're going to stumble onto a spot where you see where the hooves of deer have been, and you're going to... The next time we hunted, that's what happened. I successfully nudged a deer to him, and he was successful. Um, and I, you know, I thought about that, and this, you know, again, this was 1999. I'm not sure what year it was. And I'm thinking, it's amazing that this was written a couple thousand years ago, and God can take this scripture and apply it to me in my little situation and say, this is for you, and here's how it's going to happen. And I thought, wow, I totally understand this. This is great. Two weeks later, Pastor Jack preached a sermon from the same passage of scripture, using a different little aspect of it, applying something else to a different situation that God had not applied to me when I read it. And it was like God said, no, you don't totally understand it. I'm bigger than that. Just relax and pay attention because I'm going to show you more and more. And so nowadays, I just thank him for every little revelation I get, and I just keep looking for more. Hunting tips in the Bible. Thank you, Jane. So we're going to look at Mark 4 today, uh, verses 2 through 20, and it's probably a parable that you have heard before. Um, a parable actually is, uh, the word itself is broken down into two words, para and balo is, the, is the, the breakdown. Para actually means to come alongside, like a paramedic comes alongside doctors, comes alongside nurses to help the patient. And balo actually means to throw or to cast. And so a parable is a story that is thrown alongside a teaching to help us understand it. Parables are truth in picture form. 
Jesus says in the Bible, the kingdom of God is like a seed. It's like a wedding feast. It's a treasure. And today in this passage, he says it's like a farmer who goes out to sow some seeds. So this is a parable, a story that he's putting alongside a truth that's going to help us understand it. So let's go ahead and read the scripture together. It says, he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. And still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. So then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. But still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And verse 20 says, others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So Jay, I'm going to just start with you. The verse that sticks out to me when I read this is verse 13, when Jesus basically says, Um, If you don't understand this, how are you going to understand anything else? (laughs) This is a big deal. This is the main point. Why do we think that this parable is so distinct? Why is this story, along with the teaching, so important from your perspective? Uh, For my answer, I'm going to cheat. I'm not going to take my answer out of Mark 4. I'm going to take it out of Matthew 13. Matthew 13, 10 through 17, which happens to be a parallel passage in Scripture, and if Just generally, if you read something in the Bible that you can't get your head around for whatever reason, read all the cross-references, read all the parallel passages, all the related scriptures. Um, My favorite scripture changes from time to time based on whatever I'm doing. But for years now, this one has been my absolute favorite passage in the Bible. not sure why, but uh, I'm going to read it, and my answer doesn't come from where it's supposed to. It comes from Matthew 13. The disciples came to him and said, why do you speak in parables? He said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, 
and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So basically Jesus is saying, until and unless you believe, receive him, you won't understand him. In the natural world, that's not how we do things. You know, if you want to see how a car works, you tear the engine apart and you put it back together. You read stuff. You educate yourself to learn how X works. Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. April, uh, I could cut out half of my thing because April already said it. Uh, Jesus says, understanding comes from a person, from him. Uh, John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. So if you know him, you understand. If you don't know him, you don't even begin to understand. Thank you. Um, Heather, what do you think about that, kind of that same question? Why was this so important? So I think that this is really what most of our beliefs are based on uh, biblically. It's the concept of sowing and reaping. Uh, it's the simple concept that is true in the natural, that is true in the spiritual. What you put in is what will come out. <laughs> um, so in this specific scripture, he chooses to unfold and explain because he wants to make sure that there's no room for error here. Um, he's clear to make sure that he is distinct about making sure that everyone understands their role. So he talks about the sowers. And he specifically is talking about the sower that sows the word. The reality is the sower, when we put that into context, remember applying that word to our lives, can really be multiple people. The sower can be your pastor. The sower can be your friend. The sower could be you or I. And that is sowing seed, which is the word, to on soil, which are the hearts and lives of the people that we know that are around us. Um, so... Specifically, it's so important for us to understand because the sowing and reaping concept comes up over and over and over again. The, the word is peppered with it. And if we don't understand the basic of it, why it's so important, it, it changes how we see things. And we might not be ready, or the soil of our hearts might not be ready the way that he's asking it to be in the word. So good. I love in this parable how um, it reminds us that God's seed, the grace of God, the word of God, is scattered generously. The, the, the uh, farmer is scattering it, right? Generously, generously, generously. But not everyone receives it. But it's not the seed that's the problem. It's the soil. The seed's out there. It's the soil. And so the gospel or, or the word of God is always a fruitful seed. There's always the potential for an orchard in every apple seed, right? There's always a forest in every acorn, God puts that inside of there, but how do you get there? Well, the seed's planted, cultivated, and cared for before the harvest can come. And so this parable talks about four different soils of our hearts, and I want to just give you a brief overview of those. The first is um, one soil they talk about is superficial, a superficial heart, superficial soil. Superficial hearts lack understanding. Um, perhaps this heart, it isn't hostile to the gospel. It isn't uh, outwardly saying, I don't want anything to do with faith or Jesus, but it's just disinterested. This heart is busy. It's caught up in the cares of life. It's caught up in earning things, the things it wants, the things it has. It's all caught up in, in things that, that is happening right here and now and not thinking anything about eternity. The second soil of the heart is a shallow soil or shallow heart. It lacks depth. This heart is easily swayed by emotions. It lives on instincts and impressions and circumstances. This heart says, when God's doing good things for me, when good things are happening in my life, I'm at church, I'm there. But when he starts letting me down, forget it. I'm going to pray when I need something. 
<laughs> but, but when I get it, I'm not even going to look back and say thank you. This type of heart joyfully accepts God's word, but doesn't really understand the price that must be paid to be a genuine Christ follower. And so when things get tough, their seed is snatched. The third type of soil, I called it a shared heart. A shared heart, it lacks focus. This heart needs a good dose of Roundup. <laughs> needs a good dose of weed killer. Because, you know, the Lord desires a whole heart. And this type of heart only wants to give away part of it. This heart receives the word, but doesn't truly repent, doesn't remove the weeds. And a garden not only must love the flowers and the fruit, but it has to hate the weeds. It can't, it can't have both things in it or it has shared focus. It's a shared heart. And so these first three hearts, the scripture says, produce no fruit. That's the problem. There's no fruit with these soils. But the scripture describes a fourth type of soil. This soil that doesn't lack understanding or depth or focus. This type of soil of our heart shows evidence of life chains and shows evidence of fruit in our lives. And so the last question I want to ask these friends this morning, I'm going to have Heather start, is how do we keep our hearts full of that good soil? That soil that produces that 30, 60, 100 times. What are some ways you felt like God's shown you that in your life? So I think the way we keep our hearts full is ensuring that we're ready and prepared to be planted on. Practically, that means guarding it, guarding our hearts and guarding the things that we allow into our hearts. In this parable, Jesus explains that we should guard our heart, what we should guard our heart against and what that looks like, what those things look like. He talks about, you know, the rocky and, and the way that they're swept to the side and on all the different devices that the enemy can use to try and remove that seed, kill that seed stifle that seed. Um, you know, like you said, the seed is good seed. It's the soil that needs to be prepared, that needs to be turned, that needs to be ready. So I think that it, it really is just us in our own lives making sure that we're taking that time for Christ, taking that time for Jesus to make sure that we are setting that time apart to make sure that we are getting closer to him so that our hearts are ready, so that when the seed is planted, the word through whomever the sower might be, that our hearts, our spirits, our minds are ready and they are right and that we can accept that seed and it can be fruitful. So good, so good. Thank you. Jay, what do you think? Uh, How do we like, keep our hearts with the, the full of good soil? I, I go back to my uh, coaching wrestling. As a, you know, my first job out of college was as a high school teacher and coach these kids were 16 to 18 years old and I was in my 20s and early 30s and we essentially grew up together you know it's it's weird I have this mental picture of them as 17 year olds and I run into them now and they're fat and bald like me so but but we had fun um the the things about my the kids who were the best kids that I had were coachable they were teachable uh they wanted everything that I had for them and the second thing is they hated to fail. They hated to lose. It used to jack me up so much, I would tell a kid, the reason that this move didn't work was because your right hand was on his knee instead of his ankle. If you go out and do it that way, it'll work. Two nights later in a match, he would go do it exactly the way I told him, and he would score with it. And I would sit there and go, yes, I made that. You know, it was just, it was so uh, thrilling to see they didn't doubt anything I told them. They went out and just acted on it and made it work. How, how much God must feel if, you know, for those of us who act on what he says versus those of us who get scripture up to here and just file it away and never act on it. So good. Um, 
you know, and if they lost, they hated to lose. They wanted to know what the fix was so this wouldn't happen again. And the ones who were the best rarely lost because of that. Uh, in following him, I want to be teachable and I want to hate to fail. And hate, sound, I mean, hate is a, not a word that makes us feel warm and fuzzy. But we're supposed to hate, we're not supposed to hate people, but there are things we are supposed to hate. As Christians, we're supposed to hate the things that God hates. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, these are the things that the Lord hates. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that can be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. So basically, anything that separates us from him is what he hates, and we're supposed to hate the same things. Um, Amber, I think, in week one talked about praying scripture, and I think I do that. I think when you pray scripture, generally, it's an offensive weapon. You go into a situation and you're claiming the promise in this scripture so that you can have victory in whatever situation you're in. Um, I pray scripture defensively. You know, David prayed, Lord, don't withdraw your spirit from me. Um, April, again, <laughs> Jesus is a person. His spirit is a person. He's not a person exactly like you. He doesn't have his own Facebook account, but he's a person. He communicates his pleasure to you and his displeasure to you. And I feel in my spirit when he's pleased and I feel when he's displeased. And uh, now David prayed that after he committed murder to cover up his adultery. You know, you don't have to get that bad. I mean, I'm in, an, in the natural, I'm just lazy. I don't like to work, including on relationships. There's mornings I get up and I say, morning, Lord, have a nice day. See you. You know, he goes, wait a minute, where are you going? And uh, if I ignore him long enough, I feel him withdraw. And I, I hate that. I don't want to do it. So um, wrestling and following Jesus have a lot of similarities. There are objective criteria. Um, you either win or you lose. The guys who make up the rules say, not to bore you with all that detail, but you get a takedown, you get this many points. You put him on his back, you get this many points. You hold him there longer, you get a few more points. Plan him, and the referee goes, match is over. You know, th those, those are the rules. So when a match starts, if you happen to look like somebody that just stepped out of the Under Armour catalog and you have all these fluorescent, swirly colors on your uniform, and everything looks wonderful, and, and your opponent has rips and tears in his uniform and his socks don't match, it doesn't matter. If you love your coach and he hates his coach, doesn't matter. If your granddaddy and your daddy were both state champs and he doesn't know who his daddy is, it doesn't matter. What matters is what happens when the two of you are on the mat together. If he outscores you, he beats you. I've as a kid, I, received, I was on both ends of those beatings. I, I beat up guys who looked like Charles Atlas, and I got beat on by guys who looked like Ichabod Crane. Can you relate, Pastor Steve? Yeah, I mean, looks are deceiving. Your mom was right when she told you that. So um, following Jesus is the same. The guys who make the rules, God, three persons, in, you know, one person or three, 
the rules are stated by Jesus. I, I read Matthew 13 a bit ago, and the Cliff Notes version is, if you haven't received me, you don't know me. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, if you show up at heaven and say, Lord, I'm here, I'm going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You know, so it doesn't matter what you do for me. It matters whether you've received me or not. Um, John 6, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 7, 21, you know, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, not somebody who says to me, Lord, Lord. Well, does the will of my Father who is in heaven sounds like, how many push-ups do I have to do? How many miles do I have to run? Give me a list of stuff I can check off so I know that I did it all. No. John 6.40, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. That young man came to Jesus and said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what, give me a list of stuff I can check off so I know I'm doing it right. John 6.29, this is the work of God. This is the work. Sounds like something you got to do, that you believe in the one he has sent. So God says... You know, if you don't, if you haven't received me, you don't know me. And if you haven't received me, I don't know you. So. Yeah, so good. Um, so the real question about this parable and the question that Heather Jay and I want to ask you this morning is what soil type is your heart? What soil type is your heart currently? Is it a mixture of soil types? Is it, has it at times, you know, Heather shared a little bit about her past and there was years of her life that her heart was hard. The soil of her heart was hard. And we all have seasons of our life where our, the soil is different. And so how are you responding to God? How are you responding to his word? And so what, how I'd like to end service today is I would like if you would all stand. Um, and we're going to do just a brief heart inspection before we leave today. Okay, so if you'd stand and um, just kind of bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to think about your life. Sometimes this is the most painful part of any anything anyone asks you to do, but I want you to just think about your life for a minute. Just uh, engage in God's Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to ask you to respond in this way. If you maybe feel like the soil of your heart uh, or some part of it on some level is that superficial soil we talked about, it's interested in yourself, it, it's distracted, it's disengaged. It's caught up in the things here on earth. It's the daily grind to get everything done. It's the amount of money I want to make before I get to retirement. It's the, it's the, the GPA I want to accomplish. It, it really gets in the way sometimes of you absorbing the word of God and, and acting on it. I want you to just put your hand over your heart. If you just feel like that's you, just put your hand over your heart. I'll cross this room. We're just going to pray this together. Lord, forgive us when our hearts are superficial. Jesus, help us turn back to you. Help us protect our hearts with diligence, God, that we would not have any superficial soil, Lord, that we would not get so caught up in the things of this world that won't last uh, through eternity, God, that we would be focused on you. All right, you can put your hand down. Let's do this one. If you can identify with the second kind, the soil of your heart being shallow. So scripture talks about shallow. Uh, it's kind of emotional. It's up and down. Your commitment to Christ kind of depends upon how much you feel him or how, how good you think your life is going or maybe when the right people are in your life, you're all sold out, but when you find yourself hanging out with a different group of people, you're a whole different person. Maybe you waffle a bit. Maybe you doubt a bit. 
If that's you, if you feel like you have some shallow soil in your heart, would you just put your hand over your heart? Let me pray for you this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray you would forgive us when our hearts are shallow. God, you would break up the fallow ground of our hearts, that you would plant the seed of the word of God deep within us, that you would help us, as your word says, put our hand on the plow and not turn back, Lord God, that we could go deep with you. We've decided to follow you, Jesus, and there's no turning back. And I pray, God, that when any doubt or or something comes in our mind, Father, we would remember this commitment we have to you. In Jesus' strong name, I pray. All right, let's do just one more. The third type of soil that I talked about that doesn't bear fruit is um, a shared heart or shared focus. This means that perhaps there's weeds in your life, there's sin in your life. Maybe there's something, a sin in your life that's been in there a really long time. Or maybe there's worries that just choke you and, and keep you from trusting God fully. Maybe there's circumstances in your life that you cannot see clearly how God's gonna work in that. Or you don't understand why you're suffering it and it keeps you a bit far from God. I want you to just put your hand over your heart. I wanna pray for you for this one. Lord Jesus, forgive us when our hearts share the focus on anything else besides you. God, forgive us when we exalt anything above you, God, when we exalt anything above you in our minds or our hearts or our emotions or our our strategies, Lord God, or our focus. Would you help us make you priority above all things? God, you are worthy. We honor you with our whole heart. We honor you with our whole lives. Jesus, we want our hearts to be fully devoted to you. It's in your strong name I pray.